0: Zephaniah chapter 3, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. We'll read verses 5 through 7. Here now the reading of the word of Almighty God, Zephaniah 3, starting at verse 5. The just Lord is in the midst thereof. He will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not. But the unjust knoweth no shame. I have cut off the nations. Their towers are desolate. I made their streets waste, that none passeth by. Their cities are destroyed, so that there is no man, that there is none inhabitant. I said, Surely thou wilt fear me. Thou wilt receive instruction." So their dwelling should not be cut off. Howsoever I punished them, but they rose early and corrupted all their doings. Thus far the reading of the word of Almighty God from Zephaniah 3. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word, for the fear of God, which is clean, for your righteousness, which endures forever. We pray that as we consider the word of God that you might meet with us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The last three Sabbaths, we've been considering this book of Zephaniah, God's secretary, the one who takes God's secrets and publishes them. Chapter one, we saw an incomplete reformation judged. Chapter two, we saw a solemn call repentance to the people whether wicked people or godly people among them and last week we looked at verses 1 through 4 that she received not correction or the importance of being teachable in the true religion and worship of God we must hear what the scriptures say we must be corrected and listen carefully now in verses 5 through 7 we will consider surely thou wilt fear me Starting at verse five. The just Lord is in the midst thereof, he will do he will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. Now last week we saw in verses one through four the curses pronounced on this city. This city with all the washings was still filthy and polluted, despite its external rites of cleansing. This was an oppressing city, not merely violating the first table in being unclean, but violating the second table in oppressing the poor. This city did not obey the voice of God, and when God chastened her, she did not receive her correction. She had no faith in God. She trusted in her own wisdom, in her own tradition, in her own reasonings. She didn't draw near to God, which is the basic duty of faith and repentance. No, she didn't believe God's promise. She didn't turn from her sins. She didn't bewail her evil condition. And because of that, they deserved certain types of rulers. Verse 3 told us their princes were like roaring lions, not because they were fearsome, but because they were hungry and they would devour the people. It says her judges were as evening wolves. The wolf has not eaten all day. He goes out at night to find his prey. He is hungry. He wouldn't even gnaw the bone till the morrow. He couldn't wait to fulfill his appetite. Rather, he was voracious. He ate quickly and he ate greedily. These are the judges. These are the rulers in the state. Such a people deserve such rulers. What about in the church? Verse 4, we read of her prophets were light and treacherous persons. No gravity, no seriousness. They were frothy, they were light. They had visions, but not from God. They wouldn't give the people the word of God as Zephaniah and Jeremiah were doing at this time. No, they would slightly heal the wound of the people and say, peace, peace when there was... No peace to the wicked. But they made promises. They were treacherous. They gave them, oh, this is the word of God. You'll be fine. The city won't fall. The Babylonians aren't coming. Everything's going to go on as it has been because God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. <clears throat> God hated them and had a miserable plan for them, except they repent. And the false prophets were light and treacherous, and therefore they would not speak the truth. What about her priests? Certainly there must have been someone in the priesthood. No. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary or all those things that God called holy. They made into unclean things. They took even the very law of God and they wrenched it out of its context to say, look, you'll be blessed. God made promise to you and your father, Abraham. God said he would be your God. You have nothing to fear. Wrenching the law. Doesn't God say, yes, you better fear if you won't obey my voice, that I will bring judgments and curses against this city? Yes, he had said that, but the false prophets and the priests would sit back and say, Forget about that. Lock up Jeremiah. He keeps prating against this city as if God's going to destroy us. We got the temple of the Lord here. The temple of the Lord are these. Filthy and polluted cities will receive such rulers, such prophets, such teachers. But what about God? Wasn't God in the midst thereof? Oh, yes, verse 5 assures us, God is there, but he is just. He dwells between the cherubim, but don't think that's going to keep him from judging you. Yes, he's in his temple. Yes, he's seated upon a throne of grace. Yes, you have the signs and pledges and seals of his presence there with you. But do not therefore foolishly flatter yourselves, he says, as though God approved of your wickedness. No, he will do no iniquity, no special favors for those unrepentant people. Matthew Henry says, He will not do iniquity, and therefore you should not. For this was the rule of their institution. Be ye holy, for I am holy. God will be true to you. Be not you then false to him. Conrad Pelican. But he will pay back to the most wicked city what it has earned. That's no comfort for the wicked that God is in the midst of you. Oh, God's in the midst of us. We're fine. God bless America. God's present with us from sea to shining sea. Oh, really? To judge us, to curse us, to plague us. He will do no iniquity, no special favors. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. Literally, in the morning. In the morning, he puts his judgment out into the light. Oh, the secret judgment of God, I'm not sure what's going to happen. No, God will put it out into the light every single morning when you wake up. The judgment will be there waiting for you. Though hidden, though secret at, what, at one time, God will bring it to light, the first light of the day. Now Jeremiah, I mentioned, preached at this same time. Please open to Jeremiah Chapter 7, page 771 of your pew Bibles. Very strong parallels between Zephaniah and Jeremiah. God giving them very similar messages. God describes how every morning he brought his judgments to light to the people. Look at verse 13 of chapter 7. Here God speaking to us. And now, because ye have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you, rising up early and speaking, but ye heard not, and I called you, but ye answered not, therefore will I do unto this house, which is called by my name, wherein ye trust, and unto the place which I gave to you and to your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. What happened to Shiloh? You know what happened to that city? Destroyed, overthrown, raised down to the ground, altars toppled, priests dug up, their bones were burnt. Shiloh was not the sort of place that you wanted to have a pattern for your holy city. Your holy city will be destroyed just like Shiloh was. Because I rose up early... I sent the prophets, they spake to you my word, and you would not hear. Verse 25. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have even sent unto you all my servants the prophets, listen, rising daily, rising up early and sending them. Yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but hardened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore, thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken unto thee. Thou shalt also call unto them, but they will not answer thee. How did they respond to God's early sending of his prophets? Did they soften their hearts and say, God sure is taking care of us to make sure we understand his will. Is that how they responded? No. They hardened their hearts. They made their neck stiff. Their evil heart went backwards, not forwards. They didn't make progress in the faith. They went backwards. Turn over to chapter 25 of Jeremiah. Much the same thing. Jeremiah 25, page 790. Starting there at verse 3. Listen to this. From the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Amon, king of Judah. This is the same time frame, of course, as Zephaniah. Even unto this day, that is the three and 20th year, the word of the Lord hath come unto me, and I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but ye have not hearkened. And the Lord hath sent unto you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but ye have not hearkened nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, Turn ye again now, every one from his evil way, and from the evil of your doings, and dwell in the land that the Lord hath given unto you and to your fathers forever and ever. And go not after other gods to serve them and to worship them, and provoke me not to anger with the works of your hands, and I will do you no hurt. Yet ye have not hearkened unto me, saith the Lord, that ye might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. God sent his judgments morning by morning. Every morning his judgments were brought to light, The prophets came and spake to the people and said, every one of you has a particular sin. Turn from it. Stop doing it. Don't continue in your wicked way. I'm warning you, God said, for you will bring judgment on yourself. It will be to your own hurt. And they did it anyways. Please turn back to Zephaniah chapter 3. What a sad story. What a hopeless case the just lord sitting there in the midst of them doing no iniquity every morning doth he bring his judgment to light he faileth not you might fight an enemy and they'll fight against you until they run out of resources won't they they'll fail at a specific time they will no longer be able to fight with you and they might run away and go back to their homeland because they need more resources is God that kind of enemy Will he run out of time, resources, or power? No. The Lord will ensure that justice is done. There will be no impediment to God. He is the Almighty. I note then this doctrine that God's word is his light of judgment. The prophets spoke God's word, not their own. The apostles of Jesus Christ, they spake the words of God, not their own. And we therefore must hear them as to a light that shines. That's what God is saying. I rose up early in the morning and sent the light of my word to you to bring my judgment to light. Please turn to Second Peter chapter 1 page 1227 of your pew bibles the apostle peter describes for us this light and this truth second peter chapter one we'll read verses 16 through 21 starting at verse 16 for we that is the apostles of christ for we have not followed cunningly devised fables We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto what? A light that shineth in a dark place, until what? The day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What is the light that God has designed for us to hear? Well, it's a twofold light, isn't it? First, you have the light of the apostles that he describes, the light concerning our Lord Jesus Christ, whose face shined with an effulgent glory like the sun shines in its glory. He had that shining glory, that excellent glory in the voice of God saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Then there is the light of prophecy. This Old Testament prophecy, the scriptures of the Old Testament, are like a light, he says, that shines in a dark place until the day dawns. When did God send forth the light of his judgments? Every morning, he says, morning in the morning, every single morning, his judgments came forth, the light of his word. And so God's word is this light of judgment. The prophets spoke God's word, not their own, as did the apostles of Christ, as Peter describes himself and the others. This is God's voice that they have delivered to us. These are God's words. Let us then open our eyes to the words of God. Let us open our ears to its reading and to its preaching. Let us open our minds to the truth delivered in the Scriptures. Let us open our hands to receive and to do His commandments. Let us open our memory to the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. Let us open our wills to the sovereign authority of God. Is this what Israel did? No. They turned their back. They went backward. They stiffened their neck. And that's why Zephaniah is saying, there's no hope for you. You won't listen. You won't hear the light. God, every morning, is there in your midst. You could hear what the prophets have to say. Let us open our affections to the promises and precepts of God. Let us pant after the oracles of God in Scripture. Let us not shut our eyes to its light, stop our ears to its voice, turn our back from its demands. No, let us hear the word and do it. Please turn back to Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah chapter 3. verse 5 again Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light he faileth not but the unjust knoweth no shame Now we've looked at this idea of shame this is from Romans 6:21 which we looked at recently what fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed For the end of those things is death. Shame is where your conscience says you're guilty. You shouldn't be doing this. But the unjust man who is so corrupt, does his conscience work? Does his conscience condemn him? No. By a life and practice of sinning after sinning after sinning, the voice of his conscience has gone lower and lower and lower until the conscience says nothing to him. He's stopped listening to his conscience. His conscience has stopped talking to him. He knoweth no shame. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 3, please. Page 765. Notice the analogy that the prophet takes, starting at verse 1. Jeremiah 3, 1. They say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not the land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers. Yet return again to me, saith the Lord. Lift up thine eyes unto the high places, and see where thou hast been lain with. In the ways hast thou sat for them as the Arabians in the wilderness, and thou hast polluted the land with thy whoredoms and with thy wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withholden, and there hath been no latter rain, and thou hadst a whore's forehead. Thou refusest to be ashamed. That's the idea. Why does a whore practice her trade? Because by sin after sin after sin, she has shut her conscience off and said, I need money. I don't care what God says about the use of my body. I've got to feed myself. I've got to feed my children. I don't care what the law says. I care what I need. That's a whore's forehead. You, Israel, are a whore, he says. You refused to be ashamed when I judged you. I took away your blessings. No crops for you, no rain for you, but your forehead refused to be ashamed. Mm. Mm. I'm not going to be ashamed by you, God. I'm not going to go down when you humble me. I'm going to exalt myself against you. God requires that when he sends forth his chastisements, we humble ourselves. We submit ourselves to him. Otherwise, he says, you have a whore's forehead. You're impudent. You're incorrigible. You cannot be corrected. You can also see this in Jeremiah six thirteen through 15, and in chapter 8, verse 12. Let us be careful to always maintain a tender conscience. Let us fear to offend God, and because we fear to offend God, let us hear the voice of our conscience. Inform your conscience by Scripture. Heed the warnings when it says, don't do that thing. You know that's not right. Before you do it, your conscience will warn you, don't do that. Listen to your conscience. Don't ignore it and say, I'll go on, I'll figure it out for myself. Well, you already figured it out for yourself. Your conscience already told you you're not supposed to be doing that. Do not become hardened in your conscience. Heed the warnings. Be ashamed when it condemns. Not upset that you got caught, but ashamed that you violated the law of Almighty God. Repent and turn to Christ. When you hear the sentence of condemnation come from the conscience, God put his deputy there to bring you to repentance. The conscience is like God's deputy. It's speaking on his behalf. Guilty. Turn from that wicked way. Turn away from it. Don't do it. Now that you've done it, you're guilty. You should be ashamed. Yes, that should lead us to repentance. Don't grow comfortable with the voice of conscience thundering against you and feel nothing be calloused against it no listen to the voice of conscience heed its warnings repent when it calls you to repent let's turn back to Zephaniah chapter 3 looking now at verse 6 these people had God in the midst of them they had their conscience refusing to accuse them because of their lack of shame. And now verse 6. I have cut off the nations. Their towers are desolate. I have made their streets waste, that none passeth by. Their cities are destroyed, so that there is no man, that there is none inhabitant. Okay. God took the servant out and spanked him for the same evil that the son was doing. Now, son, do you see how much I hate that deed? Do you see what I've done to these people over here? What have the Babylonians done everywhere they went? Have they been overcome by the nations? No. They've been destroyed. They've been enslaved. All their temples have been destroyed and ransacked, all the goods taken out, all the people taken into captivity. Now, son, do you see what's going to happen to you? Do you see what I've done to the slaves for the very thing you're doing? And you know you're not supposed to do it. They're not quite sure whether it's good or evil. They actually think they should worship these graven images. You know better. I have cut off the nations. Those goyim out there, I've cut them down like grass. They're all dried up. I've done so for other nations. I will do so to you. That's what he's saying. Remember, he called them a city not desired. He called them a merchant people or Canaanites in chapter 1 and verse 11. Your day's coming, O city, O people not desired. Look at those great cities that they used to have. Where is everyone? Their towers, he says, are desolate. Those big corner offices, those beautiful suites they used to have way up there, gone. Nineveh, gone. What about the great cities that they had all throughout the ancient Near East? Gone. Babylon is on top. They are on the bottom. Their towers are desolate. All the strength and beauty that they had all the safety they thought they had by being so high up in the air, gone. Nobody lives in those towers anymore. You go out into their streets, used to be a bustle in business. Now it's nothing dried up like a creek that no longer has waters in it. Their cities laid waste. In fact, when it says their cities are destroyed, it literally means they've been hunted down. The hunter has lay in wait for the city and he has caught his prey and all the people in the city is taken out for his slaves. There is no man. There is none inhabitant. Everybody's trapped. Therefore, let us take warning. When God destroys others, when God brings his judgment upon other nations, other people, other families, other individuals. When he causes the population of the world to decrease, what are we to do? Repent of our sins. Recognize the hand of God's judgment. Tremble before the Lord. Not go on in our sins, in other words. What did God expect would be the response? Okay, I've taken my servants out and I've beaten them for the same thing you've done. Surely you will fear me now, right? That's the logical result, isn't it? You've seen my judgments on others. Now, he says, verse 7, I said, surely thou wilt fear me. This is, again, a figure of speech. It shows that the thing in itself would produce such an effect. Of course, when you see all the other nations destroyed, all their mighty towers brought down to nothing, all those bustling cities turned into ghost towns, certainly you'd finally figure it out, Judah, that you're not going to be spared. Your having me present together with you is not going to save you if you do not repent. You will fear me now, will you not? Remember Deuteronomy five twenty nine. Oh, that there were such an heart in them that they would fear me. It's a figure of speech. God saying, like he didn't even know. I'm not sure. I wish it were the case. I can't accomplish it. Hear the same idea. Now they'll fear me. Now they will turn from their sins. Now they will receive instruction, he says. This word instruction means discipline, chastening, or instruction. We saw in verse 2, she obeyed not the voice, she received not correction. Same idea. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 1, please. Page 668 concerning instruction, Psalms and then Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. We'll look at a few verses here to get a taste for the idea of instruction. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, To know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity. Look down at verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Turn over to chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 of Proverbs. My son... "'Despise not the chastening of the Lord, "'neither be weary of his correction. "'For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, "'even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth.'" This is what God's relationship was to Judah. I am your father. I have instructed you. And part of my instruction is that when you go astray, I have corrected you. I have spanked you, in other words. I've taught you by my words. I've taught you in my providence to listen to my words. I gave you the law, and then I spanked you in my providence so that you'd pay better attention and receive instruction and correction. Discipline, chastening, instruction. Surely thou wilt fear me, he says, And you will now receive instruction. If God chastens the heathens, certainly shouldn't you expect that I will now come to you? Don't you see that I am coming for you next? Your chastening is not off the table. No, I desire to correct you. God will not spare the son if he would not spare the servant. I note then this doctrine. God's providence is a warning to us that we should listen to his word. God in his providence warns us to listen to his word. God chastens and judges others to drive us to fear to hear the word of instruction. To come back to the word of God and say, Lord, instruct me, teach me, chasten me, enable me to fear you. Let us then observe God's providence. There are different ways people observe providence. Some people observe it so they can write books. We call those historians. I want to observe what happened in the past so that I can write these amazing books. Not necessarily bad in itself, but rather speculative. That is an idle observance of providence. God says, you should take note of what I'm doing with the other nations. Why? So that you can fear me and receive instruction. This is why we must observe providence. We must take warning. We must be corrected. We must go back to the word of God to believe what he has said, to obey what he has commanded. No idle observance of providence will do. There must be powerfully added to it a desire to grow in obedience, a desire to hear the voice of God. God, in his providence, warns us. He shows us his hand of chastisement and judgments and calls us to fear him. Surely thou wilt fear me, thou wilt receive instruction so their dwelling should not be cut off you see what happened to all these nations people of god is that they refuse to repent of their sins so if you decide we're done with our sins if you decide we will fear god and we will receive his instruction guess what will happen to your land you get to keep it it is for your good but should you continue on in your sin, will you get to keep your land? No. Your dwelling will not be cut off. You will not go into captivity. Should you fear me, he says. But note the sad sequel. Howsoever I punish them, but what did they do? Do you remember when God said how he instructed them? In the morning, in the morning, at the first light, when the day first dawned, God's there showing up through his prophets, speaking to them to turn every one of them away from their wicked ways. You remember that? First thing in the morning, wasn't it? Early, at the day dawning, the word of light and instruction came to them, When did they start corrupting themselves? Exactly then, wasn't it? They rose early. To hear the word of God? No. And corrupted all their doings. They saw what I did to the other nations. They saw that I was punishing them as well. And rather than return with a spirit of humility and submission, answering God's goodness with obedience and repentance, what do they do? Corrupt themselves in all their doings. They became more wicked. They were most earnest and ready to do wickedly, the Geneva notes say. God was most earnest and ready to call them to repent by their prophets so they matched their might and main to overthrow his holiness by their corrupt deeds this word corrupted means to ruin to rot to spoil to mar or to injure god shows up through his prophets did they listen to them they stoned them didn't they They would kill the prophets. They would throw them in prison. They would corrupt themselves. And this is an ironic form of speech. I came early and showed up at first light. So did you. And rather than give to me what you ought have given to me early in the morning, you gave me the opposite, God says. I note then this doctrine. God requires like For like. God requires like for like. This is what lies behind Paul's writing to the Corinthians about giving. God has given to you, therefore you ought to give to others. God has comforted you, therefore you should comfort others. God has forgiven you, Therefore, you should forgive others. Do you see the pattern of Scripture? God requires like for like. This is why the curse is so heavy on those who return evil for good. He says evil will never depart from their household. Those who return for good done to them some evil, they're never going to get rid of punishment by God. He's just going to constantly rain evil upon them. God requires like for like when he gives us the light of his word to expose our sin to guide us in his ways what do we give him in return well i'm going to corrupt myself i'm going to go further away from god i was speaking to a gentleman just the other day drove right past him he was asking mike wilson and me he was asking us for directions and he used a foul word and i said you know sir you should use your tongue to glorify god you know what he did He used more foul words. He threw out more. He figured out new ways to swear. Oh yeah, my mom, blankety blank. She taught me that blankety when I was blankety a kid. More corruption. Is that what God says you should do? Somebody rebukes you for having a foul mouth. What should you do? You know, you're right. I need to repent of my sins. I need to turn from my wicked way. Let us return God in kind. When his word comes to us, let us believe what he promises. When it calls us to repent of our sins, don't say, well, I'm a good person. Oh, I know, I'm reformed. I'm not not supposed to say that. But let me show you why I'm right, even though I'm wrong. That's not returning like for like. The word, if it exposes a sin, we should repent. Not rise up early and shield off our sin and say, no, my sin's okay, Uh, You don't understand. My sin is actually a virtue. Yeah, your sin. No, that's horrible. My sin, pretty good. Let us return like for like. God rises early. Let us rise early to hear his word, not to corrupt our ways. Let us return obedience for his commands. Let us return faith for his promises. Let us return fear to his threats. Let us return repentance when he announces our sins. This is to return like to God. This is what God required through Zephaniah of the people. And this is what the people refused to give. And therefore, he says, you'll be cut off. There's no hope for you. There's no repentance. There's no like for like. There's just the opposite. And therefore, God said, I have a sacrifice. I've bid my guests, they're coming for you. The fowls of the air will eat your flesh. The Babylonians will take your goods. They'll carry you away beyond the river. And so God speaks to us, America. What is our hope have we repented when God reigned early on us and gave us the light of his word? Have we listened carefully to all the commandments and the statutes? Have we followed the ways of our ancestors who came here so that they could worship the true and living God according to his word? No. And so therefore we must expect that we will be cut off unless we repent. Unless we turn from our own ways, unless we turn to God's most righteous ways, acknowledging before him and saying, Lord, surely now we will fear you. Surely now we will receive instruction so that we may not be cut off in our dwellings. When God punishes us as a people, let us rise early and repent of our sins rather than corrupt all our doings.